Hello and welcome to Alert Radio for April 1st, 2010. I'm Jeff Hughes. And I'm Chris Albee. We can be found at CanadianDimension.com. On the program today, I'll have a conversation with Professor Arthur Schaefer on the visit of Ann Coulter to Canada. And Jeff will also be talking to Art Starrett, Executive Director of the Coastal First Nations, about a proposed Enbridge Northern Pipeline that's going to stretch from the tar sands to the West Coast. We'll also have Music is the Weapon. Around the Left. And the Alert Headlines. That and much more. And now the alert headlines for April 1st, 2010. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton has told CBC's The Hour that the U.S. would like Canada to stay in Afghanistan beyond 2011, the year Canada is scheduled to end its combat mission in the country. Clinton is in Ottawa to attend a meeting of G8 foreign ministers to prepare for the G8 Leaders Summit in Toronto in June. To date, there has been no formal request from NATO for Canadian troops to stay in Afghanistan past 2011. Clinton's comments to CBC suggested that a request may come soon for some Canadian soldiers to stay, even if it's only in a supporting role. The Harper government has closed down Canadian Human Rights Commission offices in Vancouver, Toronto and Halifax. The Public Service Alliance of Canada maintains that the closure of the three offices will make it substantially harder for individuals from marginalized groups to launch human rights complaints. The three offices slated for closure received 70% of all signed complaints to the CHRC in 2008. The union which represents CHRC employees says the latest attack will have a particular impact on radicalized people and recent immigrants. The urban centers where the CHRC offices are being closed represent a high percentage of racialized people. RCMP officers arrested six women who were peacefully refusing to leave Indian Affairs Minister Chuck Stroll's office until he pledged to restore funding to the Aboriginal Health Foundation. Maya Rolblingani, a member of the Montreal-based grassroots group Missing Justice, said, by cutting the funding to the Aboriginal Healing Foundation and having us arrested for protesting these cuts, Harper is denying effective services to thousands of residential school survivors. Rol Bengani was among those arrested. Funding cuts in the federal budget affect 134 organizations across Canada, including the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal and the Aboriginal Health Foundation. Canada's role as a global leader has been compromised by consecutive conservative and liberal governments obsessed with courting ethnic voters, former diplomat Robert Fowler told the Liberal Policy Renewal Conference on Sunday. Fowler blasted the leading federal political parties for letting the country's foreign policy be dictated by special interests. He said both major parties have been enticed by the allure of political gains within the Jewish community. He said it is a strategy that leads to an unproductive support for Israel and undermines Canada's reputation as a trusted mediator in the Middle East. 
Ottawa will spend more money on federal prisons in coming years. New figures released this week show the budget for Corrections Canada is projected to rise 27% from the 2010-2011 fiscal year to 2012-2013 when it will reach $3.1 billion. More than 4,000 new positions will be created at correctional institutions and parole offices across the country, with estimates of a 25% increase in employees during the same period. The conservative push comes despite declining crime rates in Canada, but amid polls showing the popularity of tough-on-crime measures. Three Ecuadorian villagers were in Toronto court last week trying to preserve their lawsuit against a Vancouver-based copper mining company. Villagers filed a $1 billion human rights lawsuit last year against Copper Mesa Mining Corporation, two of its directors and the Toronto Stock Exchange. They accused the company of hiring armed security forces that have intimidated, threatened and assaulted villagers who have complained the proposed open pit mine would destroy the delicate habitat surrounding their cloud forest community. The lawsuit's allegations have not been tested in court and if the defendants have their way, they won't ever be. The TSX and the company say the suit should be dismissed now before it gets to trial. The company has said its business practices are ethical and responsible. The villagers say their lawsuit is meant to shine a spotlight on the Canadian mining industry and how it lacks accountability in its dealings with local people in many rural areas of Central and South America. Proposed reforms to Canada's refugee system would increase the number of refugees accepted into the country and provide more funding to help them integrate into society and find jobs. Under the proposed legislation, Canada would resettle as many as 14,500 refugees selected by the United Nations annually, 2,500 more than it does currently. The government also wants to increase funding for the Resettlement Assistance Program to $54 million annually in order to ensure newly arrived refugees are receiving the support they need. The program will provide a monthly income to newly arrived refugees for food and shelter for up to one year with a possible extension for two years for refugees with special needs needs or until the refugee is self-sufficient. If approved by Parliament, it would be the first permanent funding increase to the program in more than 10 years. Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister Lawrence Cannon says Iran's nuclear enrichment program will be high on the agenda as G8 representatives gather in Gatineau, Quebec. Cannon told reporters that we are left with little choice but to pursue additional sanctions against Iran, ideally through the United Nations Security Council. Western nations have been pushing for a fourth round of UN sanctions against Iran, which is pressing ahead with its nuclear development program. Iran insists its nuclear ambitions are strictly for peaceful purposes, but the West fears the country is trying to develop nuclear weapons. Brazilian President Lula da Silva plans to visit Iran next month to prevent a mistake like the one that led to the invasion of Iraq. Lula noted that the war against Iraq sprang from a lie that was spread by what he called the Great Powers. Lula was referring specifically to the undiscovered Iraqi weapons of mass destruction. The Brazilian president said he intends to mediate between Iran and the countries that are suspicious of Iran's nuclear program. He stressed he seeks a peaceful exit to the crisis. Military officials in Kabul have admitted U.S. and NATO troops have killed 30 Afghans and wounded 80 others at or near military checkpoints since last summer. In no instance did the victims prove to be a danger to troops. Military Commander General Stanley A. McChrystal recently said, We have shot an amazing number of people, but to my knowledge, none has ever proven to be a threat. 
Anglo-French oil company Perenco has revealed plans to build a pipeline deep into the heart of the Amazon rainforest. The pipeline is being built to transport an estimated 300 million barrels of oil from the depths of the northern Peruvian Amazon. In its report detailing the potential social and environmental impacts of the pipeline, the company fails to mention the many indigenous tribes in the region. The pipeline is projected to be 207 kilometers long and to connect with another pipeline, which will transport the oil all the way to Peru's Pacific coast. Perenco's report says it would affect the forest for 500 meters on either side of the pipeline. High-ranking officials in Peru hope the pipeline will help transform Peru's economy, but indigenous and environmental organizations are lobbying Peru's government to stop it from being built. The Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, which adjourned last week, rejected several measures to restrict trade in coral, polar bears, sharks, and the Atlantic bluefin tuna. The 175-nation conference had been meeting for 12 days in Doha, Qatar, voting on measures that often pitted conservation against commerce. And those are the alert headlines for the week of April 1st, 2010. And now for Around the Left for the week of April 1st, 2010. Rafif Zaida is a Palestinian spoken word artist and activist. She started performing poetry in Toronto in 2003 with the spoken word collective Pueblo Unido and is the winner of the 2007 Mayworks Festival Poetry Face-Off. Rafif's poetry speaks to the struggle of immigrants to make it to and make it in Canada and the politics of exile. She is performing at Beit Zatun, 612 Markham Street in Toronto on April 2nd at 8 p.m. Eve Angler, author of Canada and Israel, Building Apartheid, has two upcoming speaking engagements in Winnipeg. On April the 6th, Angler will be speaking at the Rudolf Rocker Cultural Center, 3rd floor, 91 Albert Street. The talk begins at 7.30 p.m. The following day, April the 7th, the University of Manitoba will host Angler in the private dining room in University College at 1.30 p.m. Admission for both talks is on a donation basis. Angler's book has been described as a devastating account of Canadian complicity in 20th and 21st century colonialism, dispossession, and war crimes. Be sure not to miss these events. Stand with Grassy Narrows in a river run in support of their demand for clean water, air, and forests that give life to us all. All participants will form a wild river that will flow to Queen's Park to deliver their demands. To join in this creative march and rally, meet at Grange Park in Toronto at noon on April 7th. Indigenous people are invited to wear their regalia. Others are invited to wear blue or dress as their favorite wild creatures. Canada is set to sign a sweeping trade deal with Colombia, our hemisphere's most egregious human rights violators, where violence against indigenous peoples, Afro-Colombians, workers, farmers and journalists is a regular occurrence. On April the 8th, a public forum will be held to ask the question, corporate profits or human rights, which should Canada champion in Colombia? The forum is held at the New Horizons Auditorium, 1140 Blur Street West in Toronto and begins at 7 p.m. The Greater Toronto Workers' Assembly is committed to non-sectarian, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist and radical anti-oppression politics and to building unity and solidarity amongst the working class. They are holding an assembly on April 18th. The assembly is open to both members and supportive observers. However, only members can vote. To become a member and to find out more details about this assembly, go to www.workersassembly.ca. And that's the round the left for the week of April 1st, 2010.
Alert Radio is the official podcast of Canada's leading progressive political magazine, Canadian Dimension. If you'd like to order a subscription to Canadian Dimension, go to our website at canadiandimension.com or pick up our latest issue on newsstands today. This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. We can be found at canadiandimension.com and I'm Jeff Hughes. It's not 100% clear who cancelled a scheduled speech at the University of Ottawa by right-wing American pundit Ann Coulter. Was it the university claiming that there were so many protesters it could not guarantee her security, or Coulter herself, as now seems most likely to be the case? Regardless, we want to talk about the issue of free speech and hate speech. Coulter's litany of inflammatory remarks about Muslims, her defense of ethnic profiling, promoting televised torture, and carpet-bombing cities in Middle East states that don't comply with American interests are examples of what critics call hate speech that should be banned from public discourse. Should hate speech be banned? To discuss this issue, we have on Alert Radio with us Professor Arthur Schaefer, Director of the Center for Professional and Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba, where we also record Alert Radio at UMFM. Welcome to Alert Radio, Professor Schaefer. Nice to be with you, Jeff. Thank you. First off, how would you define hate speech? Well, uh, the... uh Canadian Criminal Code has its own definition. Uh, I'm, I, I think there is a problem. Hate, hate speech, I suppose, could be defined very broadly as speech that makes people feel uh, uncomfortable and that incites others to, uh, uh, to hostility and violence against them. Well, do you think that hate speech should be banned? Or to put it another way, are there any circumstances when it is justified to curtail freedom of speech? Very few. Uh, And the one circumstance, or one of the very few circumstances in which I would favor restricting or banning hate speech is when it's a direct incitement to violence or a direct insult. Nobody has the right to uh, come up to you if you're... Uh, black or brown or First Nations and call you, or Jewish and call you nigger or kike and uh, incite others to violence against you. But if someone on a university campus or off a university campus uh, wants to say that uh, slavery benefited blacks, that blacks are, black people are less intelligent than white people, that they're more prone to crime, or that uh, Jews are conspiring to take over the world, or that uh, uh, Catholics are the spawn of the devil, or what, I mean, whatever the target, uh, I think all views, however hateful, should be, uh, uh, should be allowed. Uh, I think it's also right and proper when the views are, are offensive, when they're false, when, they're, when they propound injustices, that others protest against them. So it's not just the hate mongers for whom hate speech should be, uh, free speech should be operative. It's also those who wish to protest against them. And the answer to uh, false and offensive speech is not censorship. It's more speech. So you believe in free speech for even for the fascists? Uh, I, I think that... Um, I don't know who I would trust, Jeff, to decide who's a fascist. And uh, uh, I certainly wouldn't want the police or the RCMP deciding who's a fascist or who's a communist or who's hateful or what's obscene. 
when we have laws restricting freedom of expression, the first people to be censored are usually uh, people who are critics of society. Now, uh, Ann Coulter, with whom we started, um, must be one of the silliest people alive, as well as one of the most offensive. Uh, I think, frankly, that she's, um, I wouldn't call her a thinker, she's really uh, a cross between a comedian and an entrepreneur, and she's found her ecological niche. Uh, she will say things such as, uh, she'll express the view that the United States should invade uh, every Muslim country, uh, depose its leaders, and forcibly uh, forcibly convert the population to Christianity. Uh, it would be difficult to find uh, more foolish, silly, offensive, hateful ideas than hers, uh, but by banning her or trying to ban her or trying to silence her, shout her down or um, uh, trying to prosecute her under the criminal law of Canada, any of those things would be absolutely counterproductive. In my view, uh, even people such as Zundel and Keekstra, Holocaust deniers, anti-Semites, um, neo-Nazis, uh, should not be prosecuted. First of all, we make martyrs of them. Second of all, we draw great attention to them. Who would have heard of Keekstra and Zundel if uh, they hadn't been prosecuted uh, under the Criminal Code of Canada? Uh, they'd have their own little group of schools of uh, like-minded neo-Nazis, but their ideas would not have and sh should not have been given the, the attention and prominence they were by the fact that they were prosecuted. People on campus and off uh, have the right to be safe. That is, no one should be uh, threatened directly with physical harm, but people don't have a right to be safe from being offended or being challenged or being told that their views or their ideas are, uh, are wrong-headed. Well, uh, I'd like to read for, for you um, a viewpoint we clipped from a recent newspaper article, and I'll quote it here. Whether it's humorous jokes about Muslims taking flying carpets instead of airplanes, or real remarks calling for the death of abortion doctors and condemning gays and lesbians, all speech is not free, neutral, and deserving of utterance. You can't just say whatever the hell you want. Your response to that, Arthur Schaefer. Well, first of all, it seems to me there's a critical difference between uh, my saying uh, Jeff Hughes is an abortion doctor and should be killed. Um, I mean, suppo but I suppose that that is my hateful view that abortion doctors are mass murderers and because they terminate pregnancies uh, are mass murderers and would be better off dead. Um, I would defend the right of someone to that view, but I wouldn't defend their right to to uh, stand outside the home of an abortion doctor or to publish on the internet uh, photos and addresses with incitement to uh, uh, whatever crazies may lurk in our population to to uh, to shoot those abortion doctors. Now, incitement to violence against anyone, right, left, or center, uh, pro-abortion or pro-choice, uh, that's unacceptable. But defending uh, the freedom of women to choose or defending the, uh, the view that women should uh, be required to carry their pregnancies to term even if they conceived via incestuous rape. Those are, I mean, that might be a hateful view, uh, but I think we need to hear it. And I think when we listen to, to uh, 
racist opinions, such as those expressed by Ann Coulter, um, we're forced to educate ourselves. We're forced to figure out uh, uh, not just that we're opposed to racism, but why we're opposed. And when Ann Coulter tells lies and makes up factoids or fa facts that really aren't facts, um, I think those who uh, listen to her are then stimulated to go online, to go to the library, to uh, educate themselves. Uh, I think if people such as Ann Coulter didn't exist, uh, we might have to create them in order to have a lively debate. The problem is that in our society, uh, people with certain kinds of views monopolize the microphones. They monopolize the mass media. They have access to uh, I mean, the wealthy and the powerful, uh, have many more opportunities to uh, uh, propound and to repeat and to uh, glamorize uh, their ideology compared to uh, those who might want to advocate uh, equality or justice or an anti-imperialist view or whatever. So the problem, the, 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 the way to deal with that problem is not to silence people who have right-wing views, but to uh, equalize access to the media to uh, argue for uh, more microphones, uh, not to uh, shut off the microphones of those who have uh, unpleasant, uh, false, um, and inhumane views. Uh, uh, we need them. We need them to uh, force us to, uh, to educate ourselves so that we can have answers to them. This is Alert Radio, and we've been speaking to Professor Arthur Schaefer at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Nice chatting with you, Jeff. You too. This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. We're at CanadianDimension.com. I'm Jeff Hughes. The Mining. B.C. Premier Gordon Campbell finds himself on a collision course with a powerful coalition of Aboriginal groups and supporters over a proposed Enbridge Northern Pipeline. The pipeline would stretch all the way from north of Edmonton to the coastal B.C. community of Kitimat, where it would deliver 525,000 barrels of petroleum a day from the tar sands to two super tankers. The vessels would penetrate the heart of the Great Bear Rainforest, a vast stretch of old-growth timber. The West Coast is still haunted by the memory of the Exxon Valdez disaster, which dumped 38,800 tons of crude oil into Prince William Sound. The coalition opposed to the pipeline includes 150 native bands, several environmental organizations, and dozens of prominent individuals including Margaret Atwood, David Suzuki, Thomas Berger, Bruce Coburn, and 10 Olympic athletes. Some are saying that the Enbridge dispute may be the, the defining battle for a new generation concerned about climate change and the global dependence on oil. To talk to us about this, we have on the phone Art Sterrett, Executive Director of the Coastal First Nations. Welcome to Alert Radio. Uh, nice to be on, Jeff. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's start off with a quick account of the dangers you see arising from this pipeline. Well, uh, the pipeline for us, and now, the, the, uh, Jeff, you have to understand who I represent. I work for the Coastal First Nations. So my mandate doesn't extend into the interior, except in the case of uh, the Heisla, who are the Kitimat. 
And uh, so our, our issue, in large part, is around tanker traffic. And the, and the imminent uh, oil spill that we know would come if we were to allow tankers to ply the waters of the Great Bear Rainforest. What kind of public response has there been to your protest? Well, we're getting a good response. We're finding that the, you know, the majority of British Columbians are opposed uh, to tanker traffic on the coast. And uh, we've had an overwhelming response from First Nations. And, uh, I mean, we are a group of 10 First Nations. And we got support from 150 First Nations for this issue. In fact, on the coast of British Columbia, uh, opposition to tanker traffic is unanimous. So there is not a First Nation on the coast of B.C. that is in support of tanker traffic in the waters of British Columbia. Can you describe the business interests, some of the companies, and who is benefiting from this pipeline? Who's pushing it through despite all this protest we're seeing? Well, Enbridge, obviously, and I don't know who the, the investors are in Enbridge. I, I think it goes without saying that those that are uh, developing the tar sands would love to see Enbridge uh, uh, move this this project forward. It's estimated that if Enbridge, uh, the pipeline was successful in in getting access to our territories, that uh, the production in the tar sands would increase by about thirty percent. And so, obviously, the, it's in the interest of all who are involved in the tar sands project that this Enbridge project move ahead. I understand that they have put much money into Enbridge to try and push this project forward. They, they have pretty deep pockets around this. However, uh, there's really not any amount of money uh, that Coastal First Nations uh, would take uh, for a project that, would, that, would, that has the potential and will likely, at some point in time in the future, wipe out our culture, wipe out our society, and wipe, wipe out our way of life. There's just not enough money in the world to do that. Do you believe that Premier Campbell will bow to pressure and cancel the Enbridge project? And uh, what do you foresee if that doesn't happen? Art Sterrett. I think Premier Campbell, is, is, uh, he has a great deal of respect for the process that we go through with uh, First Nations. And I think at the end of the day, he's going to realize that not only are First Nations opposed to this, but by and large, uh, the, the vast majority of British Columbians are opposed to this. This is not about jobs, and many people are trying to characterize the Enbridge pro project as being a, a project which creates jobs. The amount of jobs that would be created in perpetuity by an Enbridge pipeline would be about equivalent to a new Safeway store opening up somewhere along the pipeline route. So this is not about jobs. This is about money going into the coffers of large oil companies and about endangering the society and the culture of coastal First Nations and, indeed, First Nations along the pipeline route. Can you speculate as to what will happen if this project goes ahead? Well, in British Columbia, um, we, have, uh, we, we have a little bit of a different legal framework. Uh, there are very few treaties in British Columbia, very few you know, just a handful of treaties that have been signed in recent years. And the vast majority, in fact, almost all of the pipeline route and the tanker route, there are no treaties. And that means that in British Columbia, 
uh, Aboriginal title is equivalent, which is equivalent to Crown title, continues to exist. So the rights of First Nations people to maintain their culture, to maintain their society, and to uh, protect their lands has been acknowledged, has been recognized by, by the Constitution of Canada and acknowledged in the Supreme Court, and we will take every legal means to make sure that we continue to protect our rights, our culture, and our and our society. And um, you know, at the end of the day, if somehow the courts get it wrong, um, we will be out there and literally uh, block any tankers from plying our waters. Well, we will our continue. Feel so strongly about this. This is like a matter of life and death for our people. Art Starrett, Executive Director of Coastal First Nations. We will continue to monitor the situation. Thank you very much for joining us here on Alert Radio. Uh, Thanks for talking to me. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, this is Mitch Podolik. This is Music is a Weapon, and today's show is about that lovely stuff we all call money. So here to start is Lord Invader with Yankee Dollar. I had a pretty baby who confessed she loved me, and she's from respectable family. And she said that she had a soldier who is treating her much better. Aha, she don't want no native fella. So she told me plainly, she love Yankee money. And she said, Lord Invader, but because of sang rum and Coca-Cola, don't bother if you know you ain't got a Yankee dollar. I started to chat the lady, I pleaded so impressively. I showed her a lot of English money. But this is what she made me to understand. She said she don't want no Trinidadian. You must be an American or ride a reporter return. So she told me plainly she love Yankee money. And she said, Lord Invader, not because of sang rum and Coca-Cola. Don't bother if you know you ain't got a Yankee dollar. It got some deals in Port of Spain. Some of them ain't got no shame. Yes, I know a lot, but I won't call name. And if you see them around the corner, to approach them, don't you bother. Aha, uh-huh. don't you know they blocking some Yankee soldier? They will tell you plainly, they love Yankee money. And she said, Lord Invader, not because of sang rum and Coca-Cola. Don't bother if you know you ain't got the Yankee dollar. But now the war is over, Trinidad is getting harder. Some of the young girls balling for murder. You can hear them how they gossiping, no more Yankee dollars they spending. And things, for now they hustling for their usual shilling. They will tell you plainly, they love Yankee money. And she said, Lord Invader, not because of sang rum and Coca-Cola. Don't bother, if you know you ain't got a Yankee dollar. Swing it up, boy. 
That was Lord Invader, the author of The Zombie Jamboree, a very famous Calypso artist with Yankee Dollar. I couldn't help notice the other day that in the last quarter, Canadian banks made $5.1 billion. This got me going. Those guys making that kind of dough. So I start looking through my record collection for songs about money. I looked for all kinds of things, and I found a couple hundred different songs. Uh, Folk music and money seem to have some kind of relationship. Folk singers don't have any, so I guess they sing about it a bit. But here, uh, I did a little bit of uh, research, and and here's some historical stuff to start. Here is Derek Lamb with My God, How the Money Rolls In. My father makes counterfeit money. My mother makes synthetic gin. My sister sells kisses to sailors. By God, how the money rolls in. Rolls in, rolls in. By God, how the money rolls in, rolls in. Rolls in, rolls in. By God, how the money rolls in. My brother's a slum missionary. He saves fallen women from sin. He'll save you a blonde for a shilling. By God, how the money rolls in. Rolls in, rolls in. By God, how the money rolls in, rolls in. Rolls in, rolls in. By God, how the money rolls in. Rolls in, rolls in. By God, how the money rolls in, rolls in. Rolls in, rolls in. By God, how the money rolls in. Bushels of North African grain, resold to Germany for Swiss francs, paid for by a consortium of banks with a deal in futures that the stock exchange unloads for coffee from Brazilian uplands, destined for Paris before the whole deal sinks. The checks written in indelible links out race Atlantics, winter hurricanes. At last the coffee arrives, also the wheat. Needless to say, the deal was a success. Who can deny that all of us have gained? Our benefactors, three trusts, they compete for honor, glory, power, and of course, profits where all happiness is contained. African grain, resold to Germany for Swiss francs, paid for by a consortium of banks with a deal in futures that the stock exchange unloads for coffee from Brazilian uplands, destined for Paris before the whole deal sinks the checks, written in indelible links out race Atlantics, winter hurricanes, at last the coffee arrives, also the wheat, needless to say the deal was a success, who can deny that all of us have gained? Our benefactors, three trusts, they compete for honor, glory, power, and of course, profits where all happiness is contained.
That was Peter Seeger singing Business, and before that, Derek Lamb with My God, How the Money Rolls In. One of the things that happened in this last little downturn, where the banks, of course, made $5.1 billion, is that a lot of people were dispossessed. An awful lot of people lost their homes, and uh, this, uh, you know, is a pretty common phenomenon in rural Canada, for instance, over the last 20, 25 years, people getting booted off the land, and then, of course, in the East, how many people have left their homes to head west to try to make some kind of living. It's not an uncommon phenomenon in Canada. And here's a, here's a really fine song by Nova Scotia's Dave Gunning called House for Sale. His father was a hard-working man He spent his whole lifetime working his land He plowed with a jackass built with his hands The balcony where the ox mare stands Acre by acre it all disappears Three generations in seventy years The cows and the chickens, the tractors and the barn Big money buying up all of these farms My own father worked a 12 hour day From sun up to sundown The wheat, corn and hay I worked right beside him And I learned from his ways He taught me to sweat And he taught me to pray Acre by acre, it all disappears Three generations in 70 years The cows and the chickens, the tractors and the barn Big money buying up all of these farms Back in 72, I stepped into his boots I knew just what I'd do I had me a dream, and I took out a loan The interest rates then, they were still pretty low I planted my seeds, but before they could grow They came telling me, I had to pay what I owe Acre by acre, it all disappears Three generations in 70 years The cows and the chickens, the tractors and the barn Big money buying up all of these farms I 
There's a house for sale on a dead end street with a backyard view of a factory. The walls are strong like solid stone, and for twenty years it's been a home. I work my life upon the line, past the gate ten thousand times. But now we're hearing that the work is done. They're gonna cut their losses one by one. I don't wanna be the last one standing to see it all fall down. 'Cause I know where this is going, and I don't wanna be around when it's gone. There's a meeting at the town hall tonight. More bad news from a suit and tie. They say it's not what they want, but what they have to do. But it doesn't leave much for me and you. Don't wanna be the one, believe me, to look you in the eyes and say it's time for us to be moving. So we can leave it all behind when we're gone. Signed the cross and the fire's heat, and we said goodbye to that dead end street. That was Nova Scotia's Dave Gunning with House for Sale, and before that, Acre by Acre, sung by Chuck Brodsky. One of the things that we're beginning to see now is uh, the phenomena of young writers beginning to write songs about money. Along with everything else, uh, there's a whole batch of them in Canada and the United States, and I thought I'd pick two brand new writers uh, to the scene, two brand new entities to the folk music world and to the entertainment world. We're writing amazing songs. Here from Newfoundland is the once with "What Will You Be Building?" What will you be building when you have to go? Well, that is the only thing that I need to know. What slip of the hard hand will close the big show? And what will you be building? 
have to go There's very few reasons poor people have found To grow any older is to run with the hounds And hounds and poor people make money go Secrets, I'll get me an acre. I'll build me a fortune and pay for a savior. And I'll empty my pockets at last for my maker.
chop enough wood for the range I'll keep the fire burning through the night and day Pull your nightcap down, just oil your face Thick wool blankets keep us warm until we wake Pull your belt one notch tighter, add some water to the soup These hard times can't last forever, don't know how but we'll get through Tighter, add some water to the soup. These hard times can't last forever. Don't know how, but we'll get through. Don't know how, but we'll get through. That was Nora Jane Struthers with One Notch Tighter, and before that, the once with What Will You Be Building? That's it for this week. See you next week, folks. You're listening to Alert Radio, official podcast of Canadian Dimension magazine, on the web at canadiandimension.com. And if you'd like to send us your ideas, comments, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at alert at canadiandimension.com. And that is our program for April 1st, 2010. Thank you very much for tuning in to Alert Radio. We can be found at CanadianDimension.com. I'm Jeff Hughes. And I'm Chris Alby. We hope to have you back next week. See you then. Our thanks as usual to executive producer and publisher of Canadian Dimension magazine, Saigonic. And Tommy Allen, senior technical producer. Our intern technician, Selena Serbinuk. Our alert headline writer, Chris Webb. Around the Left in Seven Days comes to us from Ben Wood. And of course, Mitch Podolik with Music is the Weapon. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension Magazine. And you can hear it in 12 cities across the country in community and campus radio stations. You can also log on to rabble.ca or canadiandimension.com.